Thanks for tuning in to part two of this two-part episode. If you haven't listened to part one, you missed out on some riveting conversation about what a Christian stance should be on witchcraft and entertainment. This week's special guest deserves no introduction. Is it deserves? You deserve an introduction. I think I deserve an introduction. I just you need no introduction. I need no introduction. Yeah. Because he's not even a guest. He's a staple here on Evidence Podcast. And his name is JT Shavers. All right. Well, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know that I necessarily like, you know, need the introduction, but, but you know, it's nice. It's nice occasionally to be like this guy who's always here. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, no, we were uh, going to talk a little bit about Poland. So I actually just recently got back from a mission trip, short term trip uh, over to Poland, where we were working with the Ukrainian or at a Ukrainian refugee camp. Um, basically how we got plugged in is we had a, a guy who works with us at Global Infusion um, who lived in Ukraine for a long time. He was a long-term mission over the, missionary over there. His wife is Ukrainian. And he went to Poland or has been in Poland uh, in the surrounding area ever since Russia invaded Ukraine back in February. And he found this, this church that was basically helping to house a lot of Ukrainian refugees that are coming over. Uh, and just to give a little bit of you know, kind of what's going on over there. Basically, the country of Poland has brought in about 5 million Ukrainian refugees into the country or, or have allowed them to come in. A lot of them are getting you know, relocated to other countries. And so they're just using Poland as like a holding area. Uh, but most of them, it's all uh, women and children. So in Ukraine right now, you can't, if you're a, a male between certain age groups, you know, if you're a fighting age male, you're actually not allowed to leave the country unless you have over four kids, I think it is. And so a lot of these, you know, fathers are basically having to go to the border and then they'll send their wife and their kids, you know, onto Poland or onto Hungary or, or different areas like that just to get them safe and out of the country. Uh, and then the dads are having to go back home and eat, whether they, you know, potentially have to fight in the future, you know, potentially get drafted is I think what the government's main concern is, is being able to draft people if they need to. Um, but, you know, as it is, you have a lot of these refugees that are mostly women and children that have been relocated into countries like Poland. And uh, just, you know, on that front, I, my respect for Poland actually went way up <laughs> while I was there. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful country, but just their ability to bring in that many refugees and they do not have supply shortages. Uh, they've been able to actually successfully house a lot of these people and have just done a great job as a country on actually being able to take in a lot of these people and help them out, you know, as, as well as they can. Um, you know, I know some countries you run into that, you bring 5 million people into your country, you start running into supply shortages, being able to get, you know, goods, especially when your neighboring country is in an active war, um, you know, with Russia. And then you've got that Russia is not delivering supplies and stuff like that. So, so Poland has done a fantastic job um, getting everything, you know, as good as it can. The other thing is they're the church that we were working with there. Uh, they basically got in contract with a lot of different hotels and, and resorts to be able to lock down housing for some of these people. Um, but they were getting them at super discounted rates. So it kind of shows you where like these business owners, these hotel owners, resort owners have have stepped in and they're just trying to take care of people. It's like they're they're still charging. Yeah, um, but they still have expenses with it. But with what they're charging, it's not nearly as much as they could make you know, through this time frame uh, that they've got locked down. So, you know, that, that was a very interesting thing to see and see how God's basically providing for these people and, and then the people of Poland. And, you know, a lot of these guys are just stepping in to really help out the situation. And, and that was a great, um, you know, experience on my part, just kind of seeing that and seeing people jump in as far as what we did. So we went to one specific refugee camp. Uh, we were about an hour outside of Krakow. So Krakow is kind of on the southern part of Poland. And we were about an hour outside of there at this one particular camp. And basically, we did kids ministry for like a week and a half. So that was, you know, just played with kids, played with teenagers, did volleyball on, on my part in particular. Uh, this was also probably the trip that we had the most translators I've ever had on a trip. Mm. Uh, but I wasn't one of them. So, you know, I, I was out. Uh, playing with kids the whole time. And then a lot of these translators did have fantastic conversations with a lot of the, the adults and um, helping there. We had a therapist that was on the trip with us or on the team with us. And um, she, she had a lot of 
private sessions she was able to do and then group sessions just dealing with trauma therapy and stuff like that. And, and obviously, you know, she's a professional and wouldn't really disclose a lot of, about their sessions, but it did, uh, it, it sounded like they were very effective um, from what she told us. And, and so they, they were able to work through a lot of things with a lot of these people that were there and, and, you know, a lot of beautiful things I think came out of that. Uh, as far as us with the kids, you know, basically the, the area we were out of the camp, we were at, and there was over a hundred family units in this particular camp, but there were only five dads on the whole property. So you had that. And then there was one guy from the church and that was basically it as far as like male people, you know, in, in this area of, of a place that had, you know, probably almost 300 people running around. Uh, and besides the kids, you know, it'd be like adult males. There was, there was about seven, seven people there total. Um, and, and so, you know, we had a lot of guys on the team, you know, that were grown adult males and seeing how a lot of these kids kind of instantly gravitated towards like myself and then Louise, uh, who was on the team with us, who I definitely want to get on this podcast at some point, because I think he's an incredible guy. Um, you know, seeing how they immediately kind of gravitated towards us and would just want our attention just constantly, which at first, you know, was a little bit annoying because I'm not a huge kids person. You know, I'm not, it's not that I hate kids. I won't kick them or anything like that, but I certainly don't, you know, <laughs> yeah, I don't love being around kids all the time. And so it was kind of stretching for me to, you know, be with these kids constantly. Uh, but then I also think it was a very, you know, loving experience on that front. And, and so it definitely stretched me out of my comfort zones a lot of, in a lot of ways on that. Um, but you were able to just love these kids and, you know, bring peace and joy to them for the time that we were there. Uh, we did do Bible stories constantly. Um, we had with our last one. So basically through the week we were doing like a VBS style thing through the week and we were giving, you know, different Bible stories. So we'd go through like creation. We did David and Goliath. We did the fiery furnace. We did, you know, the, the generic stories throughout the week. And, then at the end of the week, we do, you know, Christ's death, burial, resurrection. And of course you do a, you know, altar call or invitation at that. And there were a lot of kids who responded to that. So I do hope that, that there were authentic salvations there. I mean, obviously, you know, I think salvation is a process that you have to, to work through a lot of times. I don't know with kids, especially they'll say they're saved. And then, you know, five years later, they, they aren't, you know, or, or whatever. And it's like, it's, it's hard to know how authentic that experience is, but you hope that it's, it's authentic. And you certainly hope that the, what is implanted there last, right? You, right. you hope that what, what is said and what is taught, they remember that and they can recall it at a later date. I mean, I certainly know that's how, you know, my personal experience was, mm -hmm. um, you know, for, for sure. Cause I mean, being raised in church and stuff like that, you know, all the stories, you know, all the, the facts. Um, but when those facts become a reality is a different situation right? and having that. So, but yeah, yeah. Overall, you know, I thought we had a fantastic time, fantastic trip. I do think it was very effective. Um, you know, hopefully um, this war ends soon and people are able to go back home. Mm -hmm. I for sure want to be going back to Ukraine and, and that region, you know, as much as possible because they're, they're going through a lot. And, and a lot of these people we ran into, you know, they've lost family members. They've lost friends. That was, with the teenagers that we hung out with, uh, there were, there were several, but that was some of the biggest things that, you know, their conversations were geared towards is like, they, they know friends that have died, you know, during this war and, and, you know, civilian casualties, and they've got dads that are having to fight in a war. And, you know, the biggest questions are just like, why is, you know, if God is great, why is he letting all these things happen? Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's one of the biggest questions I think we all ask, but but it's so personal for them. You know, it's, it's easy for us to kind of talk about that and theorize it when nothing bad is really happening in our lives. But mm -hmm. when you see, you know, your country being attacked and you see, you know, all these terrible things and people that, you know, are dying um, by, a, you know, by the hand of another human, you do, you do want to say like, you know, God, why are you, why are you letting this happen to us? And, um, you know, and, and that's, that was one thing I actually did get to preach a sermon and while we were there, and one of the things that I talked about was the fact that like, it's okay to be angry at God occasionally, you know, there's, there's a lot of Psalms. There's a lot of evidence in the new Testament of showing where these people will be <clears throat> praying or, or, or singing, you know, if it's a Psalm or reflecting rather, 
and there's a lot of anger and, and kind of animosity and confusion towards God mm-hmm. where they're just like, you know, God, why are you, why are you letting all of this stuff happen? I, I think, uh, Psalms, Psalms 24 is a great one where the psalmist is just going through and he's saying, God, you're letting all of these people attack us and you're doing all these things. Like, why are you holding back? Why aren't, why aren't you defending your people and, and all of that? But, but a lot of what has to happen is like, it's okay to come to God with a lot of those issues, but you also have to be respectful. Like that's the other thing I see in these Psalms is, is constantly like, they'll be angry with God, but then they turn around and they'll be like, but yet I know that you are the God who parted the Red Sea. I know that you are the God of redemption and, and those sorts of things. And, and it's being respectful and remembering who God is. And so as you pray and as you worship, you know, remembering the things that God has done in your personal life or even hearing what God has done in other people's lives, I think is a very important thing because, you know, I mean, I can leave there and I can be upset about the situation that is is coming out of that. I mean, I, I know in the States, we haven't really heard much recently about the Ukrainian, you know, it's like when it first happened back in February, it was all over the news. It was the only thing any of us heard about for a few weeks. And then Will Smith, you know, slaps Chris Rock and all of a sudden it changes. And, you know, ever now since monkeypox like, is out. Yeah, you know, you got monkeypox, right? I, I haven't even clicked on one of those yet. <laughs> That's immediately I saw it and I was like, nope. Cut that off. Yeah. Rebuke this in the name of Satan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, it, it was a difficult situation for sure. And and then seeing, you know, just the straight human connection side of things, I, I think that was one of the biggest things. Like we we were truly you know playing with these kids and these you know i mean we did a, a freaking volleyball tournament um with the teenagers which was incredible <laughs> you know actually because because that was one thing there's been other short-term teams that have gone to these these camps and one of the things that they told us very early on in the week was like most of them had only been staying for like one to two days for the first thing mm-hmm. you know for, so it's like they would come by they'd get their photos and you know do a bible story and then they'd leave which unfortunately is you know a very common thing to do in short-term missions but it's yeah. like we were actually at this one camp for the week and a half, which was great. Mm-hmm. I loved that method of doing it. And, but, you know, we got there and then they talked about like, oh yeah, they always spend all of their time with like the little kids, but the teenagers, you know, 12 year olds and up really got no attention whatsoever. And so they were just kind of on their own and, and doing their own thing. So we were actually super, whenever we figured that out, uh, me and Louise, Julie, a, a few other people on the team were just like, well, let's like, let's be very intentional about just hanging out with the teenagers. And so we were able to send a memo out to, to the group, basically, you know, to everybody that was there, there's just like, Hey, if you're between, you know, 12 and 25, it's like, let's get here at like eight o'clock at night and we're going to do a volleyball tournament. Sure. And we actually had a huge turnout with people. And so we did that like all week. And so um, I think, I think like four nights out of the week, we ended up bringing all these people in and then we had like a huge pizza party for everybody. So we just, you know, and, and it's one of those things is like, you can hear all of those things and some, well, well, that doesn't sound very missional, but it does actually, you know, if you think mm-hmm. about, you think about all the stuff that we do in American youth groups and, and stuff like that, like that is what it is. It's building connection. It's building friendships. It's even amongst themselves. Like that's the other mm-hmm. factor there because these guys, it's not like they all knew each other in Ukraine and then they came over. It's like none of these people knew each other. They've all been, you know, displaced and put in here with a group of random people. They don't know, you know, all of these other teenagers and stuff like that. And and even getting them together to be able to, you know, just have fun and games and build that community amongst themselves is a huge deal because that's how you ultimately that's how you get through these things. You know, if you isolate mm-hmm. yourself and you're never around anybody, that's all trauma and you know, depression and stuff like that just kind of festers inside of you. But if you're able to actually get out and around people again, you know, that's a huge, that's a huge deal yeah. through that. And then it, it does give you an opportunity, you know, to build connections, friendships, relationships that do end up lasting and you can continue to work on those things and build them. Um, you know, it's conversion to Christianity often, you know, takes years, especially if you're not, you know, if you aren't raised in a Christian household and you're not accustomed to that, it can take years mm-hmm. for you to actually convert over. And it should, you know, I mean, there, yeah. there are obviously those, you know, incredible stories of just, you know, people converting on a whim and, you know, then they're dedicated and on fire for God. But I feel like that's the exception, not the rule, yeah. you know, yeah. for well, most. 
I was thinking like, like we always use the verse just a lot with missions of the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's like, it's so easy to look at that and think, well, there's just so many people out there ready to get saved. I just need to go. But you Mm -hmm. forget that a harvest takes a process. Yeah. Harvest takes, you know, fertilization. It takes a seed. It takes, you know, tealing of the land. It takes, I mean, there's, there's more to a harvest than just here's the wheat. Go right. You know, (laughs) congratulations. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Wild berries. That's exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's a process and it takes time. I mean, you know, yeah, no, it does. It does. And that's the thing is it's, you know, I remember that when we went to uh, Japan, that was another, and, and this was all, pre-COVID, this is probably three or four years ago when we went there and I was talking to our contact, uh, you know, tr- <coughs> sorry. So I was talking to our contact, trying to figure out like, if we, you know, continue to work in Japan, what would that kind of look like? And like, if we sent you a long-term missionary, what would you need? You know, in Japan, what would you need out of those long-term missionaries? And one of the things that he kept going back for was just like, I like, if you're going to send somebody, it needs to be a minimal of five years is, is kind of where he started. And he was like, when they come here, first two years is going to be nothing but language learning. He was like, they'll meet people and they'll start building community, but it is language learning and just learning the culture is the first thing you're going to be doing. And he said, and then after that is when you can actually start, you know, building, building relationships with people and eventually get conversions. I mean, he talked about in Japan specifically that, that it would take often, you know, five to 10 years to develop a good enough of a relationship with somebody that you could even start to convert them just because, you know, and we like to rush into these things a lot of times, but that is a huge decision in a lot of cultures. Now, Ukraine, Ukrainians, very different. I mean, shoot, there was a, there was a pretty good percentage of the Ukrainian people that we met with who were already Christians. I mean, Ukraine is, I won't say they're completely saturated with Christianity because they're not, um, but, but there's certainly a lot of it there. Um, a lot of, especially in the Catholicism, Orthodoxy realm. Um, but I, but I, even then I think probably 20 to 30% of the population would consider themselves Protestants. Um, you know, if you, if you want to go that way. Um, but anyways, yeah, so it was great time. Uh, loved it. Would love to go back and, and spend more time like in Ukraine. Cause there's obviously, there's going to be a ton of rebuilding and stuff like that on the back end of this war that I really do think people will have to step in and help, you know, and, and help them where we can. Um, I don't know, obviously with this war, like hopefully you don't have a ton of refugees who are scattered all across Europe for very long. I mean, hopefully they're all able to go home and, and you know, that's the biggest thing to pray for is just hope that this, this war is over and, and they can go home and be with their families, you know, and don't be, well, I mean, just, I could, I couldn't imagine being away from your spouse, especially knowing that your spouse is in a active war country. Mm. You can imagine how you sleep at night, you know, with that. And, and, you know, like you're with your kids, you're doing the right thing. You know, it's like, it's like, I, I didn't blame any of these moms, you know, even though a lot of them blame themselves, they would be like, why am I over here safe in Poland? You know, when my husband is, you know, in a war zone right now, but, but they're taking care of their kids and, you know, they're keeping their kids safe and they're keeping their family as safe as they can and themselves safe. And you can't really blame them for that. And they, they shouldn't blame themselves for that either. Um, I, I get the reaction obviously, but I, I can't imagine having to go through that. And, and that was, that was probably one of the hardest things about this trip was hearing a lot of those type of stories um, from, <clears throat> from these adult women, you know, that with kids and stuff like that, and they're doing what they can. And then also just, feeling very useless was the other part of it because you know they've been in this camp for three to four months they're doing what they can but you know a lot of them had jobs a lot of them had you know stuff that they responsibilities at home but now that they're in poland it's like their responsibility is their kid but other than that they really don't have any and and so feeling like they didn't really have a responsibility while they were there was a huge deal um but anyway so yeah i mean for for everyone you know Pray for pray for Poland, pray for Ukraine and, and that refugee situation, but mainly, you know, pray that this war actually ends quickly. I mean, it, you don't want it to drag out any longer than this thing has to. And mm-hmm. we can often be mad at Russia, but what I'll say about that is there's a lot of people in Russia who don't like the fact that this war is happening either. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's a lot of people who are okay with it, you know, and a lot of people that support it on Russia. So I'm not, not letting anybody off the hook, but you know, I, I do think we have to be very careful not to throw a lot of hate towards an entire nationality of people because there definitely are differing opinions within that. And 
you know, pray for peace and healing in the region, honestly, because it's going to take years to begin to resolve that, mm-hmm. you know, and, and beginning to even fathom loving anyone, you know, after mm-hmm. after that. And and when they're neighboring countries and, you know, families across the border, that's the other thing is there's a ton of Ukrainian people who have families that live in Russia, you know, extended families and, and vice versa. And that takes a long time to heal. Um, there's going to be a lot of hatred and animosity and revenge, you know, as a possibility that ends up coming from that. But, you know, we, we serve a God who's able to resolve those issues and, mm-hmm. and resolve those things. So, yeah. So yeah. that's my field report. <laughs> cool. Perfect. I love it. Um, I, I, of course, always have questions, um, yeah. <laughs> especially after a trip. Cause I know, I mean, I, I get it. I know what it's like to be on it. And I know that we had the conversation even before this, that, you know, I was like, I'm going to give you a chance. Just let us know how God was evident throughout this whole time. And you're like, yeah. man, to be honest, like <laughs> it's a little bit different of a trip than, than, you yeah. know, one of our trips to Thailand where we saw miracles legitimately yeah. happen. And, um, I know that's it. when you come home from trips like that, it's, it's very hard to relay to others that this was still a meaningful trip. Um, we yeah. may not have seen thousands come to know Christ, but we, had a presence there and we allowed God's presence to be there as well. Um, I kind of just want you to just to kind of set the scene for us of, you know, you and I, we've done some other trips before that were in refugee uh, camps and, uh, or other areas. And I guess that's kind of what I'm asking is like, uh, just set the scene. Like, is is it looking like kind of, I I mean, I guess I can release some of our location, um, like it was when we went to Lebanon with Syrian refugees. Was it more of like a tent camp? Was it more buildings and parks nearby and like a local town? Yeah, so it's very, it was very different than Syria. So, I mean, Poland is certainly, a, I, I guess they would be considered a first world country uh, for mm-hmm. sure. I mean, they, they've definitely, you know, they're, they're up there. And so this particular one that we were at the whole time, uh, it was actually like a resort. So there was a amusement, an amusement park nearby. And this was like a, a hotel resort thing for that amusement park. Yeah. So it was, it was like it was owned by a different company, but it was out there. So if you can imagine, it's a nicer hotel room, but you've got a family of four that's essentially living in a hotel room for the mm-hmm. last four months. Mm-hmm. And that would be it, it would be very equivalent. to like if we as a bunch of Americans went and lived in a hotel room for forever, it would be the same level. Like we're very much used to space. We're used to nicer things. We're not crammed in here with a bunch of other people. And hotels are nice and resorts are nice when you're only there for a week, right. you know, but after that, you know, most of us are ready to go home after a Especially week. Especially when you're told that they're, you don't know the end of this. It's not exactly. like, well, you're yeah. here and for the rest of the month. No, they're, they're literally, they don't know the end of this. Exactly. Yeah. And they don't know when they're living. And so, and they don't know whether to make it their home or whether to, you know, always have your suitcase packed and be ready to leave the next day. You know, it right. was like, do you even settle in in these areas and so it's not to undermine it but it it was very different so like with syria and we may have to ask jonathan if we're if we're allowed to disclose that because we're not disclosing any people so i think i think it's probably fine but like when we were in lebanon with the syrian refugees and we were on the border there like you're right it was a lot of you know tyvek tents and but the difference is like poland is being very accepting of the refugees that are coming over Whereas Lebanon was saying, we don't want you here. Stay Go back to Syria. Exactly. And so they were stuck on the border, right. you know, and they, they could get into the Lebanese border, but they couldn't really come into the country. Mm-hmm. And, and so that was the biggest difference and seeing how, and it's not just Poland, but, you know, Poland, uh, Hungary, Croatia, Germany, you know, a lot of the, the countries surrounding Ukraine have been very accepting and been like, yeah, come, come over to Scandinavia has been, incredible about accepting people canada has been great uh, apparently the u.s we're we're kind of being a little two-faced about it because we're telling people that you can come here but then we're not actually letting anybody up um so it's uh, I, I figured that out when we were there and then i researched it later and i was right or they were right rather because I, I was under the impression that the u.s was bringing in refugees you know and and that, that was something we were helping with but then Turns out we're not, but yet we're saying like, yeah, you can absolutely come over here, but then nobody's actually doing it. Maybe they just don't want to come here. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's right. like maybe they just don't want to actually come in the country. Um, it was very different because with Lebanon, there there was very few countries that were trying to let the Syrians come into their countries. Um, same thing with Myanmar. When we were in Thailand, there were refugees from Myanmar who were trying to get into Thailand and the Thai um, 
Thai people are just like, nope, we don't want you. Go away. And but they they couldn't go anywhere. So then they were just kind of trucking across the country, but they weren't being helped. Right. You know, and, and they were kind of just being ignored on the way or, or, and less and worse than ignored sometimes. So yeah, from from that perspective, like it's not as bad as what we've seen in, in certain circumstances, but it's still certainly very bad. Like I don't want to I don't want to undermine it or anything like that or say that it's it's like, oh well, they're fine, you know, and they're not fine. It, it's not okay. It's not an okay right. situation. Uh, but it is more humane. You know, they're they're not yeah. starving on the streets, they're being taken care of. And a lot of that does come from like I you know started with of a lot of these churches. I mean, the, the church we're working for was just a church in Krakow that stepped up and they, you know, got these places under contract. They're paying for everything. I was like, I think it was like a $2.4 million contract that they had gotten in with these hotels and, and resorts to lock it in. And this is, you know, the church is stepping in and taking responsibility for it. These refugees aren't having to pay for it. Wow. Um, so, you know, and that's, that's the church doing what the church needs to do. Right. Absolutely. I mean, that, that was one thing that I, I saw that testimony and, and talked to the pastor for a little while. And, and I was just blown away because he did it, you know, without question. And it's one of those things like, you know, I'm, I'm in the nonprofit world and, and help with that. And it would have been very hard for me to advise a church or a nonprofit organization to go into contract for that much money um, off faith, you know, <laughs> and right. it's like, but, but they did it, you know, and they did go off faith. And well, that's huge. Cause I mean, I was already thinking once you said that it was a, a hotel or a resort, I was thinking, this is the summer and I don't know what the seasons are like there, but yeah. I'm thinking, is this not like prime? Tourist, oh, it is. Yeah. You know, vacation. Well, and, that, and that's the thing. So the amusement park there that I, that I brought up, like it was, it's a big, cause it's about an hour outside of Krakow. It's in a pretty rural area. Um, but there's a, a ton of people who will drive, you know, out of the cities to these amusement parks, to all these mm-hmm. areas that are staying. Um, and they, they shut it all down to, to help out the refugees and to be able to bring these refugees in here. So, yeah, I mean, as a lot of these businesses, you know, they're taking a hit this year and, and it is, you know, like I say, a $2.4 million contract, but you're thinking a vacation town resort that locked under contract, like that is probably the bare minimum of what they would have made. You know, they're, they're not making a profit off of these refugees being there, um, which is incredible. I mean, I mean, that's not a lot of business owners would do that um across the board so for them to step up and do that and again that's just you know the people of poland the 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 church the local church um it's great you know for them to walk in and do something like that and take care of you know their neighbors so yeah it's what you're supposed to be doing right another thing that i thought that it's probably a little different um with poland versus going to someone somewhere like mexico or peru or asia countries or whatever um is that not to not to focus too much on race, but it is just a realism of it. And why I think that we related so heavily to the attacks on Ukraine is that they, you know, a lot of times look like the faces of ourselves. If yeah. that makes sense, you know, yeah, I feel no, like, um, you know, it's easy to think I'm on the mission field and to sympathize and think I'm here to help when it's a starving African child, right? Or a, you know, a bombed country in in the Middle East or. <laughs> you know, whatever, again, starving people or someone in the sex trade in Asia, like it's very easy to, to think I'm here to help them. And you kind of wear that American pride at times. And I think that that's incorrect and we're we're guilty of it, but it's also what we try to not to do (laughs) when we're on mission trips. But I think that it had to be a little different to kind of be working with like a blonde hair, blue eyed child versus you know a child that is in another country that may be malnourished (laughs) right and and, um you know i i I don't want to focus too much on race but there is a relational aspect to that of where you know i go to africa and because i have stringy soft hair versus the coarseness of african hair they want to touch my hair because i have white skin they think i number one have money they number two just want to touch my skin blue Mm -hmm. eyes they're fascinated because they've never seen blue eyes it's not a racial thing per se it's just a different thing and there's intrigue that goes really both ways yeah and i feel like it was that i feel like that might have been different and i'm kind of asking i know this sounds like a tough question but (laughs) you know is that was that different being in in a number one a first world country that was one thing that i was already thinking is that this is not a country 
Poland nor Ukraine is a country that seems to be lacking for anything. Right. And it's also a country that we more or less look like the people down the road. Mm. You know, we don't stand out in the way that we would going into other you know, continents that right. may not look the same as us. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, for sure that, I mean, for example, the place we were staying at, like we had air conditioner, we had a shower that had hot and cold controlled water, you know, and it was, mm-hmm. uh, food was very, you know, food we were accustomed to, you know, it's like, obviously we tried Polish cuisine, but that's, that's Eastern European. It's like, we have that all the time in right. the States, you know? And so, so from a perspective on that, like there wasn't a lot of culture shock. Yeah. Um, like it was actually kind of funny because with most countries we go to, you know, you'll, you'll kind of be there and like the only white people you'll be around will be your team members. And so you'll see a white person walking down the street and you're like, Oh, that's one of my team members or whatever, you know? And, and then that was not the case with this one. It's like, you would see somebody walking down the street and you're like, Oh no, that's just another guy. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> this is another Polish guy, yeah. um, you know, but we did, it was funny. Cause so we had, um, Louise who was on our team. He's a uh, Puerto Rican. And so, you know, he dark, dark skin tone guy, but he got a lot of weird looks from people in Poland because um, right. he would be walking down the street or whatever. And they'd kind of look at him like, what is that guy doing here? You know, and clearly so does he, not speak Polish. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> Except he picked it up really well, you know, and it, and it was incredible kind of seeing it. But he, but he had some interesting, you know, stories about like run ins that he had. Yeah. Um, just because he was a brown skinned guy and they, you know, they had not really seen brown skinned guy you know yeah not too much so so from that perspective it was very interesting uh walking in with race it it also i i felt like we weren't as uh i gotta be very careful the way i, I know, so it's, in a, it's, it's it, a tough subject to to say yeah no but it, it's a it's a legitimate it's a legitimate topic so mm-hmm. so in a lot of countries we go into um where white people are definitely like they haven't really seen a lot of white people Mm -hmm. there can kind of be this misplaced like idealism towards white people and especially americans and i see that i see that a lot and so it's like we'll walk into the village and they'll be oh the americans are here whoop de doo that's that american pride i was talking about exactly check ourselves for right and like and i am i'm very proud to be an american i'm i am not somebody who just hates on america all the time Mm -hmm. a little I'll, i'll hate on america a little bit but i think all americans hate on a little bit america a little bit so if you care you know, if you care you're gonna hate you exactly know? yeah if you're an american you hate america just a little bit you know yeah, it's yeah. Like, just because you care exactly right we could always be better That's the, <laughs> um but but no you know it was it was one of those things that like in a lot of these areas they will kind of like falsely idolize you in in, in a lot of ways and yeah. you don't mind i mean it gives you an opportunity to be you know it gives you an open door on that front but with ukrainian and polish people like they're very aware of, of America and some of the issues that we have and seeing Americans is not a new thing for them. You know, they, Poland is a high tourist area. I mean, you got the castles over there, you got Auschwitz over there. Um, so yeah, there's tourists all the time who come into Poland. And so they're very accustomed to seeing that, which in a way made it, made me feel like the experiences were more authentic um, because they were able, we were able to just talk on more like a one-on-one human level, you know, and that was, that was a very interesting thing. And, and I haven't got to do a lot of missions in, in like Eastern Europe and Europe in general. Um, mm-hmm. but seeing it more like we didn't stand out everywhere that we went and, and it kind of gave us the opportunity to slide in a little bit more and have more, right. I, I feel like more authentic and, and especially on our teams, we had like 12 people on our team. Uh, five of them, no, let me, four of them were Ukrainians um, that were with us. And there they were Ukrainians who lived stateside, um, but they came with us to the team, you know, on the team and over there. And so that also gave us a massive just way to connect with some of the people that were there. I mean, having, having people that like, they're not actively going through as much trauma. I mean, a little bit, because even some people on our team, they still had friends and family that are in Ukraine right now. And, and they were wanting to you know, help them and pray for them. And obviously it was very near and dear to their hearts. Um, but, but it did give us more of a, an authentic connection, I think, and, and definitely set us in a place to be able to, to minister, but then just also be their friends, you know, and just right. help them out as much as we could. So, yeah, I also haven't done, I guess, really any, uh, ministry in Europe at all. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's always our layover countries. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so we're either yeah. eating McDonald's for the last time or right. 
um, you know, or just passing through. But yeah, yeah well, it is interesting on that front because like a lot of times from the missions perspective, it's kind of like you mentioned, it's, it's easy to go do missions in Africa in Southeast Asia and yeah. South central South America, because it's like, because there is a true level of poverty there and you can kind of come there and, and feel like an immediate need. But really, if you think about it, like Spain has a very low uh, Christian population. Norway mm-hmm. has an extremely low Christian population. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of these countries, even though there's exposure and it's like there's not like a forbidden knowledge about Christianity like there is in China, you know, you certainly still have a low Christian population and, and there's certainly a need to actually go there and, mm-hmm. and minister, especially on the long term basis. Like it's harder on the short term basis because you can't you can't go in and fill a humanitarian need, you know? Right. right? So right. it's like with Africa, you can go in and I say Africa, like it's one country, Kenya. Well, <laughs> we'll do that. So <laughs> like you can go to Kenya and you can do, you know, a feeding project. You can do, go dig wells. You can do tons of things that are like a straight up humanitarian you meet help the, and aid. You meet the need before you meet. Exactly. Yeah. The, you meet an immediate yeah. need, which then gives you an opportunity to share the gospel. And so it's like now right. it's kind of that captive audience, right? which feels a little hairy, but at the same time, you're getting the gospel out and it's a good way to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, you come in, you give medical care, like you're there to give medical care. If they'll listen to you, you also can share the gospel with them. Jesus started his ministry doing that. Exactly. He was, he was handing out wine to people. Every, every, every miracle was him meeting a need. (laughs) Exactly. So that he could then explain the gospel. And, And I definitely feel like that is the correct way to do missions. Like if you're going on a mission field and you're not helping them meet a need, especially if you're in like a, a true, poverty stricken area like if they're starving starving people don't listen to you yep. I and mean, that's the bottom line like they, they want nothing to do with you they will not listen to a thing that you say if if they're starving like so so feed them and take care of them and, that, and that's a biblical thing that we should be doing so i'm not undermining that at all but it's easier in places like that you go to a country like norway they don't need your help they got world-class medical care they've got that's free for them you know it's like they've got an abundance of food they've got all sorts of things. They don't need you as the American to come in there and help them um, in any way, shape, form or fashion. Poland's the same way. It's like, they don't, they don't need you to come in there. Ukraine's a little bit different right now, but they're certainly not that way all the time. Um, and so they, you know, there's still a lot of pride that comes in with that and a lot of, which a well-earned pride. I'm not saying pride in a bad way in that particular right. instance, but, right. but it's like, so you come in there. And so then you, you have to shift your missions mindset because then it does become more long-term relationship building. That's what I was talking about with Japan. It's the same way. They don't need you to come in. They've got, a, they've got all the humanitarian needs met. And so what it becomes is a relationship long-term building where they have to see an authentic difference in you as an individual that they then want to seek for themselves, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's and when they have hardships in their life, are they willing to come to you and discuss their religious beliefs? You know, is it possible that I that you can say like, okay, you're going through this, so let me tell you about Jesus who can help you with this? But yeah. that takes that takes years of knowing people on a very intimate basis um, in order to share and, and begin to convince them. Because the other part about that is often I think we argue theology a lot of times and we get into the deep dark weeds of just always arguing about, you know, what is right, what is wrong, especially with Islamic people. We do this a lot. We argue, you know, theology and it's like, was Jesus the son of God? And did he actually come as the Messiah and all of these things? But the reality is, is that unless the Holy spirit is convicting somebody and the Holy spirit changes their mind, you're probably not going to get an authentic conversion. Like you can have these conversations and you should have these conversations, but you should also constantly be praying and meeting people on a human one-on-one basis, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's like, eventually God will reach out to them. Eventually, you know, and whether he does it through you or whether he does it through somebody else, like God is going to reach out to them. And then are, is their perception of Christianity good enough that they're willing to accept it? Or do they have such a warped, you know, terrible view of Christianity that when, you know, God does convict them or when the Holy Spirit does convict them that they say, nope, not interested in anything those people have. Right. I mean, I mean, what's, what's your perspective there. Right. And, and that's one of the the biggest things I think we mess up on in the way we do missions is we want to, we want to be able to go out there and, you know, preach because we have to report back to our churches, right. We have to come back home and we have to say like, Oh, we did all these, you know, wonderful things. And we had, you know, a hundred people accepted Christ. And 
And great if they actually did. Fantastic. Wonderful. Good for you. But that is definitely not the way that these things work out long term. You know, it's like you rarely do have these events where you come in there and like 100 people accept Christ. I mean, they happen. And, and again, incredible, As, especially, especially if you have long term follow up with those people. I, I do have an issue of, you know, the spiritual orphans thing where you go preach these crusade conferences or whatever. <clears throat> you get out there and, and, you know, hundreds of people say they convert and they have a great spiritual experience and there's no long-term follow-up to continue to disciple them as Christians. I have an issue with that. Yep. And, you know, that's one of the, one of the biggest things that, you know, we as GI are so adamant about is making sure that, that we're plugging in with a local church who can then come in and disciple these people, you know, after we leave is we're there, we're there two or three weeks at the most, unless you have a long-term missionary who's going there. But even then, you know, most of our long-termers are one to five years at the most. Yep. Um, you know, it's, it's rare that somebody will stay out more than five years. It happens, but it's rare, yep. you know? And so that discipleship is imperative, you know? I, I mean, shoot, you know that you've, <laughs> you've done long-term. I was, I was the one now. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> I didn't say the five plus years. Yeah. So. yeah, yeah. Um, so anyways, yeah, that's my, that's my mission spiel. <laughs> no, I think that's good. And more I, than just Poland, but yeah. I think that's good. And another thing about that is that translates really well to our own discipleship here in the States. I mean, you know, in a different way than other trips, other trips, it's like, man, you know, we stayed in this mud hut village and Mm. we slept on the floor and we really saw God move in these people's lives. And it's like, that's so far different than what we meet every single day here. And I feel like when you do go to a first world country that has a need for you to meet, even if it is just human interaction or, you know, whatever medical care or counseling, that's still a need that has to be met. And I think that when you go to those, it is so much like home that that can translate and help you and equip you for that same ministry here stateside. Yeah. And, and, and it is very different ministering to people that, that look like you, because then, it's just like I come home and now all these people still look Polish or right. still look, you know, Ukrainian. Yeah. Um, but that, I guess that was my, you know, my biggest question. I do think that that is kind of a strength and a difference out of that is that, mm-hmm. you know, it is a first world country. You're not really lacking anything when you're on that trip. It doesn't yeah. feel like a missions trip while you're there. And you're working with people that don't seem any different than people at home. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And then it does make you wonder like, is there a reason that we have to go to Poland? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I have a, a friend that uh, at my Nana's funeral, which we talked about on the other half of this episode, Yeah. Um, her sister was there and she goes, Hey, my sister just went on her very first missions trip. She's really excited to tell me, but she thought it was funny, not yeah. because it was funny <laughs> that she was going, it's where she went. And she goes, you won't believe where she went. And I'm like, tell me, I'm so excited <laughs> to know. She goes, Knoxville, Tennessee. <laughs> And I yeah. said, you're kidding. <laughs> Great. <laughs> like, I'm a long-term missionary there, actually. <laughs> That's what I told her. I said, why yeah. don't you go somewhere else? I'm planted there. I'm doing good work, okay? Right. Like, I'm full-time <laughs> there. And uh, we were laughing about it. But it is just like, you know, she came here to, to do her first missions trip and, uh, you know, minister to people here in the lost city of Knoxville, Tennessee. Yeah. But you know, I, I was just, I laughed at that, but I was just thinking like how, how that is, how it could look so much the same in a different country. And it's, yeah. it's a different feeling of relating versus I'm somebody totally different than your normal. I right. stand out. You're going to listen to me because of that. Yeah. Um, but, and I mean, we, like we did the whole topic of like, do you have to leave your passport country in order for it to be considered? Oh yeah. And, you know, we, and and I think, you know, if anybody's interested, that was, I thought that was a great conversation, great podcast, but you know, it is interesting. Like, like my mom, for example, her first quote unquote mission trip was they went to Atlanta, which is like two and a half, three hours away from them. Mm -hmm. However, if you, if you're from that Northeast Alabama area that I grew up with, you know, or in culturally, there's a pretty big difference between that little region and Atlanta. Atlanta is probably the most diverse city in the world. I would say if not, well, besides like New York, it's one of, yeah. I mean, besides like a very major city, but like, yeah, but it's like, you, you definitely had some cultural diversity there. For sure. Two and a half, three hours away. However, it's very difficult for me to be like, nah, that's essentially within your local churches, like 
reach, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. you can, you can go there in an afternoon. So yeah, yeah you can work a job in Atlanta yeah. and commute back and forth to your house. So it's hard for me to say that like, that's a, a quote unquote mission trip. However, what it does do with people. And, and so I don't want to undermine it is it does start the conversation of outreach and outreach responsibility from your church, mm-hmm. right? Because it's a big commitment for people who have never done it to be like, Oh, I'm going to go spend, you know, three to $5,000 to fly across the country or fly across the world um, to go to this place that I don't even speak the same language. And I don't know what their food situation is. I don't know what their sleeping situation is just to minister. Right. And, right. and that's a big commitment for people. And so if doing something like going to Atlanta or going to Knoxville or going to Dallas, like it gets you out of your city, it gets you out of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm enough and and then you're able to see a need within that so i certainly don't want to undermine it like it's hard for me to consider it a mission trip or a missionary right it's like from from technical perspectives yeah but i do think it's a good thing to do because i think it's something that churches should be doing all the time right i i mean that's the other reality i feel like the purpose of your local church just like this church in poland is like you're you're taking care of your neighbors and you're taking care of your community Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it's like it's like you've got this Polish church right now who just accept. I mean, they had they had I think they told me over a thousand families, if I'm remembering the numbers right, that they are paying to house a thousand families for six months. Yeah. And and like that is what the church should be doing. That is yeah. exactly what the church is supposed to be doing, yeah. because when these people go back into Ukraine, they're going to remember that. And they're going to remember that there was a, a church that stepped in and took care of them for six months. It wasn't a government. It, I mean, mm-hmm. you have business people involved, but ultimately it's the church that was yeah. taking care of the situation. And, and that the way we relate to our communities, we, you know, within our own country. And if you're going places, you know, Detroit, Dallas, uh, the entire state of Michigan, you know, it's, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. you, you can go to all of these places and, and there's needs there, you know, there's needs that For you need sure. to follow. But at the same time, like that is essentially the work of your local church that you should be doing on a regular basis. Yeah. Like, yep. like we kind and of consider that. Yeah. I, oh no, go ahead. We kind of I was going to say, we, we kind of consider that like the special, you know, extra thing that we do, but really it should be the minimum, right? Yeah. It should yeah. be the minimal of what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's where we we have the terms evangelism versus missions or right. discipleship versus evangelism and missions. That's the three words that I feel like we kind of toss back and forth. Right. And I feel like missions is very much, and we've talked about all of this, but I do feel like missions is very much about going into places where Jesus's name has not been heard or proclaimed as much right. and proclaiming it really for the first time. Mm-hmm. I think I think discipleship is the follow up of salvation and creating disciples and leading people to salvation, which doesn't usually happen the first time Jesus's name is proclaimed. I think that with discipleship, that is more accountability, that is more fellowship together. And, and it's that it's that consistency that you talk about where someone needs to be planted um, yeah. to continue to do. And then I think evangelism is what you're doing, no matter if you're on a mission trip, if you're discipling or if you're living at home. Evangelism yeah. is what you're doing and called to do, no matter where you are. If you're working as a pastor, you're evangelizing. If you're working as a laborer at a, you know, a shop or factory, you're evangelizing as you go. Mm-hmm. And that's where I feel like the difference is. And you can't, I feel like every field is your evangelistic field. <laughs> I don't know. Right. It's not really a term, <laughs> yeah. um, but your mission field is. I mean, I would say that that's really whenever you're going somewhere that Jesus is not predominantly known. And that's why we talk about here stateside, you know, everyone in the States has heard the name of Jesus. Most everyone, it'd be hard pressed to find someone that doesn't know at least the name Jesus Christ. That's his first and last name. Um, I don't know if you knew that his last name's Christ. Um, (laughs) That's a lot of middle names, but we won't discuss those. Um, (laughs) Uh, but, but anyway, I just, I think that people have opportunities here and it's the church's job to continue to encourage, lead and disciple those people. And it's our jobs as believers to evangelize to people. And by evangelize, that means to show Christ right? rather than just speaking Christ. Yeah. And essentially you're just taking that evangelism over across seas on a mission to spread God's yeah. name to places that he is not known. Right. And, and I mean, if we, if we double back to like, 
you know, the Great Commission, which we've definitely talked about at length on here before, but it it is go into all of the world and, yep. and spread the gospel, right? I mean, that is the point. And, and I can guarantee people that there are regions of the world that are still unreached. Like if yep. you if you go into China, if you go into North Korea, if you go into some areas in Nepal, in India, Indonesia, like there are areas that have no clue who Jesus yep. Christ is yep. and, and have never heard anything about them or Christianity as an entirety. And, you know, I think the other part about that, that is something I've circled back on time and time again, because often I think one of the conversations we have when it comes to mission missionology it's like, why are you trying to go over and change somebody's culture? And why are you trying to do all of these things? And, you know, it's like, should you even expose them to Christianity from a secular viewpoint? Is, is like, should you even do that? Is that something they even need to know? And I think one thing that we should all be able to agree on as a race is the right to choose the religion that you have. Mm-hmm. And in so many of these places, like you're born into a specific religion, but you may not have been exposed to other I- ideas even. I mean, it's like you take China or North Korea as a prime example is like the information that they receive is very controlled. And so it's like, do they do they do you believe that they have the human right to be able to choose Christianity over other religions or do you not? You know, it's like we we believe in a freedom of religion, I think, very strongly in the states. Mm-hmm. And, and that is one of the things that like I will fight for a, an idea of freedom of religion within this country as you know, long as I can. Yep. Um, but because I, I do think that people have that innate right, like whether you choose Christianity or not, that is ultimately up to you and your decision. Mm-hmm. But I do think that you have the right for exposure. And I do feel like I am responsible for allowing exposure, yep. you know, to you. And so going to some of these places that are unreached is, it's very necessary if, if for that point alone, you know, I, I do think that you need to hear, I think you need to hear the gospel. Um, also, from the studies that I've had, the only thing Jesus Christ is waiting on, as far as I can tell, is for everybody to be able to hear. Yep. Right. Yeah. I mean, yep. it's, it's yep. like when when the whole world hears, that's when Christ will come back. And I guarantee you there are still places that he, they haven't heard. So yep. it's like if you want Jesus to come back, then <laughs> go out and be a missionary. So, yep. Right. It says every corner of the earth. Does that mean the earth is flat? Yeah. Well, you know, the Bible <laughs> does teach that. <laughs> <laughs> We're not getting into that. Uh but, but no, I, I totally agree with that. I, I absolutely think that, you know, having the fact that we get to choose and have that freedom is a great feature about, you know, our country. It's a great thing that I think human mankind is allowed to have and should have. Yeah. I know there's countries that try to shut that down, but, um, you know, that's something that God gave us. You know, he gave us the free will of choice. And, and I think, you know, when we think back to some of the interviews that we've had on here and testimonies we've heard, I think Adam Mew, uh, who's our very first guest, you know, he made the statement, go ahead, go, go look at other religions and I will put my God up against anybody else. Yeah. And he will make his glory known. And, and, and he does that time and time again throughout the Bible. Yeah. He's done that time and time again throughout history that, right. you know, there are no gods before him. He is the God of all gods and he is going to prevail in the end. And yeah. And I, I think that if we have that kind of faith and that kind of confidence in God, that, you know, we should be encouraging, encouraging of having culture that allows us to believe what we want to believe and who we want to believe in, because our one true God is going to stay firm and he's going to prevail and stand true yeah, in the end. So For sure. Yep. For sure. Thanks for lending us your ears. If you like what you've heard, give us a rating and a review. Also, don't forget to hit the follow button. Bye like guys. and subscribe. <laughs> this has been an Evidence Media Podcast. <laughs>